0: This is Kick-Ass News. I'm Ben Mathis. We read their quotes in Bloomberg Business and hear them talk about any number of tech and business-related podcasts, but sometimes it's hard to know what Silicon Valley executives are really thinking. Wonder what gets VMware CIO Basque Iyer out of bed each morning? Or what show its senior VP of sales can't stop watching? Tune in to the VMware Executive Perspective podcast series at vmware.com/radius/perspective to hear the whole story. Again, that's vmware.com/radius/perspective. Hi, I'm Ben Mathis. Welcome to Kick Ass News, folks. What's the craziest thing you've ever eaten? Chicken gizzards, liver. Maybe a Rocky Mountain Oyster on a dare once? Well, if you think you've got an adventurous palate, trust me, you've got nothing on my guest today. There's literally nothing that's edible that James Beard Award winner Andrew Zimmerman won't try at least once. For a dozen years now, he's traveled the world eating some of the most unusual foods from blowfish to pig rectums to all manner of reproductive organs for his travel program Bizarre Foods on the Travel Channel. The highly popular show has taken him to over 170 countries and led to a half-dozen other shows for Andrew on the Travel Channel, including his latest, The Zimmern List, on which he shares some less exotic but beloved hidden gems in your favorite cities across America. Today, Andrew joins me to talk about how he became the man who'll eat anything and some of the most astounding bites he's sampled over the years. He reveals the strangest delicacies that turned out to be amazingly good, whether he's finally learned to love his old nemesis, the famously stinky durian fruit, and a couple of foods that even he absolutely hates. Spoiler alert, they're surprisingly boring. He'll discuss his broader mission to spread tolerance and understanding by showing Americans that no matter what we eat or how we eat it, the simple joy of sharing a meal is universal, and as he puts it, social change often starts with our stomachs. He recalls the inspiring story of how he went from living on the streets to globe-trotting on the Travel Channel. He explains why his newest show is his most personal one yet, and why he finally decided to share the one special restaurant that he swore he'd never reveal to the public. Plus, why freshness matters when eating testicles, the best bird fetus you ever ate, and two words, snake wine. Coming up with the Travel Channel's Andrew Zimmern in just a moment. four-time James Beard award-winning TV personality, chef, writer, and teacher, Andrew Zimmern is the creator, executive producer, and host of the Bizarre Foods franchise on Travel Channel, including Bizarre Foods, Bizarre World, Bizarre Foods America, and Bizarre Foods Delicious Destinations, as well as Andrew Zimmern's Driven by Food, and now his latest show, The Zimmern List, which airs Tuesdays at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, on the Travel Channel. Andrew, thanks for joining me. Oh, thrilled. Before we get into it, how many times do people mess up your name? <laughs> uh, all the time. Yeah. Uh
1: which is uh doesn't bother me at all, actually. Oh yeah. Okay. The the funniest kind of Because uh, it's not Zimmerman, no, it's and, Zimmer. And it's Zimmern and it's hard to say <laughs> and a lot of people pronounce it Zimmern, which is Truly strange to me, but the uh, the funniest thing is I often get stopped on the street and people shout out at me, hey, Anthony Zimmern, which is really funny because... Tony's much taller than I am.
0: Oh, okay. They're conflating Anthony Bourdain. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, I'm a big fan of the Bizarre Foods franchise and your newer shows. Um, you've made a name on the Travel Channel with your signature series, Bizarre Foods, which is kind of a hybrid of travel, food show, and high school dare. How did you come up with the idea for that original show? Um, well, it, it's... It, I was cooking
1: in a restaurant um, that I co-owned in Minneapolis and I was, oh gosh, I don't know, it was 20 years ago, I was uh-huh. six or seven years uh, sober and my life seemed to be changing every minute and I noticed that while I was working on concepts for my personal wellness around patience, tolerance, and understanding, mm-hmm. it it struck me one day, reading the newspaper, that the world was beginning to define itself by our differences sexuality, religion, right. music, sure. skin color yeah. in a louder and louder voice mm-hmm. and not in a helpful way, not <laughs> quite the opposite and i you know i had always been I'd been involved in food since I was a child, and it 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 seemed to me that it, One of the things that might be helpful would be looking at culture through food, Mm -hmm. using the, you know, culinary as a prism. And that we would be discussing things that we all had in common. You know, if you sit around a dinner table in Indonesia or Africa or South America or, you know, Cleveland, uh, the dinner scene is so familiar to everyone, regardless of the circumstances, what's on the plate. The class, the gender, D- yeah. dinner is dinner, and it was um, it, it was a really big sort of mind blower for me. And I I immediately set about deciding because I've always been in search of a larger audience for the messages that I'm. I feel like I'm uh, skilled at delivering, and so I decided to create a show uh that could do for for people um, you remind them that our the things we have in common are much stronger mm-hmm. and much more important than the things that separate us now that 's an extremely lofty idea it 's <laughs> cerebral, and it is not the kind of thing that you would see on commercial. Uh, for Bizarre Foods cable um, and <laughs> you, you know where you see a lot of yeah. entertainment shows and a lot of things that are meant to be um, right. something that folks can sort of relax on the couch and forget about the problems mm-hmm. of the world well I, I I wanted to challenge that idea I didn't yeah. believe that idea was true and so I I kind of developed what I called a Trojan horse which was I started shopping around this idea of the show Bizarre Foods and the hook was foods from the fringe, you know, stories that people hadn't heard about. Um, and, and because who wants to tell another story about a chicken breast or a hamburger? Yeah. I mean, every, everybody else <laughs> is doing that. What a yeah. waste of, of time. And I felt that by having that hook, which was entertaining and new for people, that um, I could slowly weave in more and more education and more and more you know intellectual heft now what what has happened over the course of the that you know it took me a while to sell the show, but over the last twelve years that it's been on um, it's kind of been a tentpole for that kind of greater understanding of people and you know I like to have fun, I think I'm funny in the show, I think the show is fun to Definitely. watch, but there's an earnest seriousness beneath it all and i'm I'm just so extremely proud of the fact that. You know the world. I mean, it airs in 80 countries, and now that Travel Channel has been bought again by Discovery, it used right. to be part of Discovery when I first started there. Um, it's going to have an even larger audience. So I'm I'm absolutely I'm, I'm humbled by that whole experience.
0: There is a certain genius to that idea because if you're trying to get particularly, let's say, Americans mm-hmm. who are can be somewhat xenophobic and sure. afraid to travel and to try new things what better than to start with the thing they're probably most afraid of, which is the kooky foods that I might come across in Asia or Africa. And, and and what to
1: them are kooky people? I mean, the food (laughs) looks different, but the people in the settings look different. The one thing that I knew and that's, that's interesting. And I love the way you phrased that, that comment is that people in America absorb other cultures first through their mouths you're right. We, we love Mexican food. I mean, yeah. I've had great Mexican food in Alaska, down yeah. to Florida, from Maine to Southern California, yeah. from North Dakota to Texas, right? There's great Mexican food yeah. everywhere. True. And yet the jury is out in this country, sadly, on mm-hmm. you know Mexican music, Mexican dance, Mexican mm-hmm. art. And the jury is even further out in this country, most shockingly and appallingly, and to me, alarmingly and sickeningly, about Mexican people. Mm -hmm. People are people all around the world. The the greatest gift that I've received over the last 12 years of circumnavigating the the globe dozens of times and, you know, visiting 174 countries over the course of my lifetime is that people are generally fabulous everywhere. And we have so much in common. And if we could just open our eyes a little bit to the fact that, you know... And that's what's great about TV, is that it shows you. It doesn't tell you you're not reading Mm -hmm. it. It actually shows you. So people who aren't even paying attention to the words can actually see what I'm doing. And hopefully we can make the world a a better place through it.
0: Yeah, I love what you said about how we begin to accept other cultures through our mouths. Mm -hmm. At one point, there was a time when Italians were the hated other in America. And then everyone started eating Italian food. And I mean, I don't know how the Irish came to be accepted then because I mean, <laughs> I'm trying well, to think of the last time I had a good Irish meal. You but. Know, it's,
1: it's, it's fascinating. I, there is great Irish food and there is great Italian food. And I think once people taste it, it's quite mm-hmm. amazing. I mean, I'll, I'll even, you know, I mean, you know, fermented seafood from Korea, Korea or yeah. the uh, Scandinavian countries when it's put mm-hmm. down in front of people mm-hmm and shared the right way, um, under the right circumstances, people's eyes are opened uh, to it in a really fascinating way. Now, at the same time, very luckily, I I call it the Food Network generation, had emerged and was growing up. So Mm -hmm. people in this country started to become more and more interested in food, more Mm -hmm. and more interested in other foods. And I think that became... Uh, the the luck, the the timing. I mean, everything successful yeah. in the world, you know, from Henry Ford up to Elon Musk has really been an issue yeah. of timing. And I was very lucky that the timing of my show sort of was right at the peak of our new... Obsession mm-hmm. with cuisine, and people wanted to see something other than a shiny floor show with a talking head standing behind a cutting board yeah. making another lemon meringue pie.
0: Now, now, for anyone who's never actually seen the show, if those people exist, uh, give us a few examples of some of the more unusual foods you've ingested over the years. <laughs> over, I think 15 years now, right? Well, it's been In it's 170 been, countries. It's been uh,
1: this is the 12th year the show has been on oh, okay. uh, Bizarre Foods. And I've made, I mean, hundreds. <laughs> and 100 i mean, I've probably made a thousand hours of television for Travel Channel with all yeah. my different series um, and and one series with Food Network called um, All Star right. Academy the, the you know the, the Dr. Seuss foods are the ones that I think are almost the, the most surprising to people mm-hmm. uh, the offal you know from animals right. which is something Land. that we've eaten the since we first, first you know had caves and built fire mm-hmm. um, But the Dr. Seuss foods are really unusual. You know, we were in Samoa, and uh, once every decade or so, the atmospheric conditions are right deep out at sea, thousands and thousands and thousands of feet uh, underneath the surface. If the ocean gets still enough, and there's no wind, which is rare, And the sun is beating down on the ocean, it signals the coral to release a a worm, a blue worm um, called Palolo that rises to the surface of the ocean where it dies in the sunlight (laughs) and then sinks back down to, uh, you know, uh, fertilize the coral for another generation of this worm. And it's It's just the cycle of the coral bed. And the natives go out there and harvest it with thin nets uh, and then eat it raw or cook it. And, you know, it's the type of food that I ate once and I'll never even see again in my lifetime. Well, especially with the coral reefs now. Well, exactly. Um, I've been, you know, with tribal communities, you know, of the dozens of protected tribes around the world, I think I've made more TV I know I've made more TV with more of them than anyone else on the planet, and you see Bushmeat and other... Tribal delicacies coming out of the the jungles and deserts where and river systems where these peoples are secreted away mm-hmm. and you see you know species of birds species mm-hmm. of fish species of you know fruits and vegetables that aren't available or seen anywhere yeah. else in the world and that just constantly blows my mind
0: yeah now what is something that probably sounded completely repulsive to you and you told the crew you know keep the pepto or a bark bag on standby <laughs> and you were just completely amazed once you tried
1: You know, believe it or not, uh, it was the first time I tried uh, tiny little birds. Uh, Whether it was Portland, well, Portland are famously banned in France now. But I, I will admit, I have been a guest at, not on (laughs) camera, at some of the several "quote unquote" secret societies that still enjoy them. But you know, when someone presents you with um uh, you know a tiny small little cooked bird and says hold the beak and eat all the rest of it you're 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 kind of surprised we've done a lot of different types of birds on the show the most prominent being in Vietnam and Thailand where in some very rural communities they'll they'll give you five or six birds sometimes ducklings sometimes uh-huh. little chicks sometimes just wild sparrows um, and the feathers are off they're marinated, they're deep fried you eat the whole thing and they're just absolutely delicious probably the most delicious taste of that poultry that you'll ever have Um, but it set me up really well for the first time I visited the Philippines 14 years ago and started to eat balut, which okay. are the unfertilized uh, sorry the fertilized eggs that have the the uh, the fetus inside of them oh wow uh, they 're hard boiled or steamed and then served with vinegar and salt for dipping and they 're They take a little getting used to, but they 're phenomenally delicious. that was one that I was wow, I don't think I'm going to like this, but it turned out I really and truly did. And usually that that the grandparents' admonition, you know, try it a couple times before you right. give us an opinion, is is definitely true for me. Mm-hmm. There are foods like that, Balut, that I thought the first time, eh, ah, it's okay. Second time, I was like, eh, ah, it's good. Third time, I was hooked. And now, really? I anytime there's a good Balutan... Oh, yeah. Well, freshness counts with them. Right, I hate right. to say I'm it. Sure, so, yeah. you know, you don't just... Uh, you don't just walk in anywhere and start eating them, but a good balutan, a place that raises uh, the eggs and serves them at 14 to 17 days old, You know, right in the sweet spot, um, so there's not too many feathers uh, yeah. on the little bird inside the egg. It's pretty darn
0: delicious. (laughs) Now, on the other hand... As I'm
1: saying that, it sounds
0: ridiculous. (laughs) In in theory, it does. Yeah. You know, on the other hand, you've had this long-standing struggle with this notorious nemesis of yours, the durian fruit. Yeah. After all these years, have you eventually started to come around to appreciate it on some level? Well, I've always appreciated it because there's so
1: many people who adore it. I Mm -hmm. just don't care for it at all. I
0: I was a guest at the
1: Indonesian embassy in Washington, D.C. many years ago. And they actually uh, had durian 10 different ways uh-huh. in an effort to kind of find a way that I would love it since it's so adored over there. And the chef made a sambal with, uh, you know, a hot chili Sauce with uh, fermented durian that, which which is odd because durian tastes so. To (laughs) me, it tastes so so rotted that fermented. I really couldn't understand it, but it it was absolutely phenomenal, and I slathered it on this barbecue baby duck, these Bobby Gouling that they were serving. Um, So I have found a way that Hmm. I do enjoy it, um, and I defend anybody else's right to enjoy it. I just I don't care for it, and durian comes you know, into season uh, in the, the Southern Asian islands and Southern Asia uh, at the same time that so many other amazing fruits come oh, into yeah. season. I like, why, why would I, why would I want to waste <laughs> yeah. my stomach
0: space? Yeah. You know? So, yeah. <laughs> I know you get asked this all the time, but what is the one thing that you just couldn't stomach? Has there well, been one of those? You know, I,
1: this is, Fascinating! You're the first person, you know, this is a scoop. Uh-huh. Um, ever since I was a little child, I've hated walnuts. I just walnuts? Haven't, been able, haven't been able to eat them. <laughs> is it an allergy thing? No, soapy, mealy. I just can't stand this. As I'm chewing them, the smell that come up, comes up through my nose, <laughs> I, I, I really almost have to spit them out. I just can't handle it. And uh, people like you laugh because, you know, I, uh, the other things that I so willingly eat and so obviously enjoy on the show. Um, and I just got back from a trip to San Sebastian and uh, Elena Arzak, a uh, d- very famous chef, uh Knew that I disliked walnuts, and she had a local farmer who she gets her walnuts from uh, set aside a batch of these incredible walnuts from coastal Spain. And uh, I. I, I ate some and they are phenomenal and okay. I couldn't stop eating them. Really? And so now at least I can say that walnuts from southern Spain okay. to me are, are quite delicious. <laughs> um, I don't eat oatmeal, cooked oatmeal, but okay. I love oatmeal cookies. Interesting. Um, I don't eat raw cookie dough. Uh-huh. I can't stand the taste of raw flour, it just grosses <laughs> me out. Um, so I guess basically we're down to raw oatmeal, uh, mm-hmm. or sorry, cooked oatmeal and raw cookie dough is, okay. is it
0: okay so but no problem with testicles nope. how many different forms of testicle have you consumed on this show uh, probably about uh, I've eaten the genitalia yeah okay yeah let's broaden it yeah uh,
1: of I mean probably 60 or 70 different animals uh, over the course of that I mean any any animal that has a yeah. ball or a penis yeah. it's you know and it's and yeah. it's around I end up eating but um, But what's uh, I don't do it gratuitously in the sense that I don't seek it out. I do it in places, you know, the culture, they eat all of the animal and they've found a way to prepare Mm -hmm. them. Now, I know it's going to sound funny, but if you talk about freshness counting with something, there's certain foods that notoriously start to go bad almost instantly once... Uh, the animal's life or the body part is separated from the animal. Okay. Um, testicles are one of them. Just like <laughs> skate wings, uh, yeah. become more ammoniated. Uh, I've heard that. The further yeah. from you know dispatching the animal uh, yeah. uh, goes, fresh, 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 fresh. Everyone would love them. <laughs> the problem is, is that most testicles. You know, people eat them at county fairs and stuff where they're oh, no, they're frozen. Mm-hmm. Uh oh, because yeah. you, you remember they, they the the, the te- testicles from cows come from being snipped yeah. during certain times of the season when the cows okay. are young enough and,
0: and oh right right, right right so that
1: yeah. thousands of tons of them are frozen every year. Uh-huh. Then they're uh, sliced, trimmed, and sliced. Uh-huh. Then they're breaded or battered. Then they're frozen again, and then they're deep fried at the carnival mm. or the you know, food booth or yeah. the stadium, and it, you're you're eating the one of the best pieces of food at its absolute worst. <laughs> Commercial product, yeah. three years old, frozen twice.
0: We're going to take a quick break, and then I'll be back with more with Andrew Zimmern. When we come back, in just a moment. The most successful business owners I know are people who enjoy what they're doing. Whatever their thing is, they love it. But here's what they don't love. When they have to stop doing what makes them money to handle something that doesn't. That's especially true when it comes to email. And that's one reason why AppRiver shines. AppRiver keeps your inbox free from spam and viruses, so you don't have to worry about all that junk cluttering up your day. If you're running your own email servers, protect them with AppRiver. Or if you're tired of that headache, just sign up for Hosted Exchange or Office 365 and get your email from the cloud. Here's the best part. Call AppRiver anytime, night or day, and you'll talk to a real live U.S.-based company employee. Somebody who's trained to take care of your issue and let you get back to doing what you love. Visit appriver.com kickass and try any of their services for free. That's appriver.com kickass. Looking to move to the cloud? Don't know where to begin? Check out the Google Cloud Platform weekly podcast where Google developer advocates Melanie Warwick and Mark Mandel answer questions, get in the weeds, and talk to GCP teams, customers, and partners about best practices. From security to machine learning and more, hear from technologists all across Google about trends and cool things happening with our technology. Click to learn more and subscribe to the podcast at g.co slash GCP podcast. Again, that's g.co slash gcppodcast. Z-Quiet is a revolutionary anti-snoring product created out of one family's need for peace and quiet. Dan and Trina Webster were desperate for a solution for Dan's snoring. That personal desperation led to a simple solution to a problem shared by millions of Americans, Z-Quiet. Made in the USA using soft BPA-free material, Z-Quiet is a comfortable, easy-to-use mouthpiece that's been helping snorers and their bed partners for 10 years. Just pop it in when you go to bed, and it works immediately. You can talk and even drink while wearing Z-Quiet because it works on the simple principle of moving the lower jaw slightly forward to open the airway and prevent vibrations that create snoring noise. Try it with confidence thanks to their 30-night Better Sleep Guarantee and feel good about your purchase knowing that Z-Quiet gives back. I didn't think that I snored, but I remembered that that's why I was sleeping on my side because whenever I sleep on my back, I snore. Turns out it's much healthier to sleep on your back, so I decided to give it a try again, and when I did, I put in my Z-Quiet mouthpiece. No snoring, no discomfort, just a quiet, peaceful sleep straight through the night. Kick snoring out of bed. Sleep quiet with Z-Quiet. Z-Quiet is so confident that you'll be satisfied with the results that they're letting my listeners try Z-Quiet risk-free for 30 days for just $9.95. Just go to tryzquiet.com. Again, that's T R Y Z Q U I E-T.com. And you can try Z-Quiet risk-free for 30 days for just $9.95. You have nothing to lose except quiet, restful sleep. If you're an entrepreneur, a small business owner, or even if you have a side gig, let me introduce you to Grasshopper, the entrepreneur's phone system. Grasshopper lets you run your business from your cell phone while keeping your business and personal lives separate. Choose from their huge inventory of local, toll-free, and vanity toll-free numbers. Simply forward your new number to your mobile phone and start taking calls immediately whether you're in an office in your car or out shopping grasshoppers iphone and android apps help you stay connected to your customers not to mention you can send and receive calls and texts from your business phone number set up multiple extensions for everyone on your team get your voicemails transcribed and emailed to you work from anywhere with call forwarding make and receive calls from your computer via the desktop app and even utilize wi-fi calling Better yet, Grasshopper offers easy and instant setup and 24-7 customer support, all without any long-term contracts. Grasshopper, sign up today. Go to grasshopper.com kick to get $20 off your first month. That's grasshopper.com kick. And now, back to the show. You know, Americans, we eat the filet and we throw out 95% of an animal. Yeah. I don't think that most people realize that's not how the rest of the world works usually. Or, or how and this it's not world... how we used to Exa- exactly. in many ways. Exa- You're your spot on. I mean, everywhere else goes literally whole hog.
1: Mm-hmm. Historically, three, four generations ago, when we mm-hmm. ate all of an animal and we ate little fish with the heads on it and we ate uh, foods that would be considered th- throwaway varietals today in terms of vegetables and fruits... You know, my great-grandmother never threw away a bruised piece of fruit. was It was indistinguishable between, you know, bruised and pristine in the market. They were all dumped into the same bin. Yeah. Um... You know, nowadays we have to have a movement built around uh, these foods to get people to uh, to try them and enjoy them. Mm -hmm. Luckily, the the home arts movement uh, has meant that a lot of people are now preaching. Hey, take your bruised tomatoes Mm -hmm. and your bruised fruit and make plums and jams and uh, make jams and sauces and things out of them. Yeah. Um, But quite frankly, a lot of those things that look less appetizing are actually more appetizing right they may be uh, longer delicious. though you have
0: to smoke them and how many well how many All times time.
1: have we seen a tomato in a supermarket and it tastes like an orange tennis ball uh yeah. because it was plucked green it mm-hmm. was you know gassed to turn color and i mean you know the modern yeah. supermarket in many cases was a huge boon to american culture mm-hmm. during the you know decades that it Became a, a neighborhood staple. But the American supermarket has also been our downfall. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to meat, prepackaged small portions of pieces that could be cooked quickly, mm-hmm. those are all luxury cuts. Yeah. Right? You know, yeah. a pork chop can be seared in 10 oh, minutes yeah. on the stove top, a stovetop, a steak. Same thing, Mm -hmm. Um, but it takes real artistry, and it takes time, and it takes education Mm -hmm. to know how to cook oxtails, or brisket, or lamb shanks, or or goat's necks, or all
0: the slave food that became barbecue, right? Well, in many cases,
1: in in some cases, I mean, it's it's a it's a generalized term, but yeah, you know, once Mm. you know, in in the nineteenth century, early nineteenth century, at the height of uh, the slave culture in the South where white people of privilege would eat one type of food and anything that they didn't use was given over uh, to others, you know, to eat the, you know, kitchen scraps, Um, you know, is is a, you know, a bellwether of a horrible time in Mm -hmm. our country's history. What's ironic to me and a fascinating piece of modern culture is that, you know, While the American steakhouse is still a great exemplar of popularity for dining culture in America, the hottest culture right now, and I think the truest form of American food, is the cuisine of the South, Mm -hmm. born out of the slave culture, influenced by uh, native and indigenous tribes like the Taino all throughout the Caribbean, Amerindians in uh, coastal uh, Central America— and has developed into this modern Southern cuisine where all of those parts mm-hmm. are gratefully eaten. Great chefs, you know, like, you know, Sean Brock and, you know, Tandy Wilson and Mike Lott, these great Ashley mm-hmm. Christian, all these amazing chefs in the South. I could go on and on and name dozens and dozens. I'm, it's horrible that I just grabbed four and now all my other <laughs> friends. Are, what about me? Um You know, John Curran's, all these people have been espousing um, a different way of looking at all these things. And is there a more coveted side with your barbecue uh, than collard greens? (laughs) Um, But that was something that that came out of the African experience. You know, when those foods were given, those those that that. Cucina povera, as the Italians call it, uh, you know the the foods born of necessity, the the foods of the impoverished, the foods of the less fortunate. Um, those required real cooking to transform mm-hmm. them into something oh, yeah. delicious, but that's what's so appreciated now. Yeah, um, and it's not that anyone can cook a brisket, but you know, I, I kind of use the fried chicken thing as in everyone raves about fried chicken. It's like, look, it ain't that hard. Start <laughs> with a good bird, you know, dredge it in buttermilk, you know, flour, salt, and pepper, and fry it right, mm-hmm. um, and you're gonna you're gonna get an A. Um, <laughs> But it's all of those wonderful sides. It's what what can you do with butter beans? What can you do yeah. with the the tops of greens? You know what can you do with you know livers and gizzards and shanks and oxtails? Um, and quite frankly, now people are lining up at the meat and threes in the South that for you know were running on fumes mm-hmm. for decades yeah. as people were trying to eat children's portions designed by interior decorators. <laughs> now that food is out. And you know, I mean, just look at the popularity mm-hmm. in Appalachian food uh, that's coming back in, which is our own country's Cucina povera. It's it's an amazing turnaround, and uh, I'm really proud that in some small way, um, because you know, TV is is giving me a very large platform that you know i've been a part of helping people to recognize that those foods and
0: are are important and delicious mm-hmm. you've had an incredible and inspiring personal story at one point i believe you spent a year living on the streets i wonder has that experience informed your appreciation for these cultures that don't just throw away everything that don't waste food i mean a, whole, a man who's living on the streets probably doesn't refuse a whole hell of a lot does he um I would not be doing what
1: I do right now if I hadn't almost died on the streets as a drug addict and alcoholic. Wow. Um, you know, my 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 fall, um, you know, led to me squatting a building, an abandoned building in lower Manhattan, trying to drink myself to death every day, stealing, you know, to get money for food and supplies. Um, I was a user of people and a taker of things. And I spent many nights and days taking, you know, beds where I could at the Salvation Army for a night just to get warm or meals from soup kitchens. Um, and living that life and then having, uh, a series of experiences that got me on the path to sobriety and now being continuously sober, you know, I'm into my 27th year of sobriety, which is shocking. I've never done anything for 27 years except breathe. Um, (laughs) It is, is the reason why I do my work. Mm -hmm. You know, at the beginning when I talked about that idea and, and looking at the world and, you know, working on myself and trying to practice certain spiritual principles of, you know patience tolerance and understanding with other people is something that i learned to help keep myself healthy and sober and right sized and 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 right thinking and i it wasn't equating with the world that I was seeing in my food life. And so I, I still loved my food life. I wanted to stay in a food life. I wanted to work in the food business, but I realized I needed to change what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a, it's a direct correlation. And quite honestly, um, you know, it's not just that it gave me an appreciation for other cultures, but surviving the, the, the worst parts of my bottom before I got sober, um, has given me a an appreciation for other cultures and other people in a way that had I not experienced it, I wouldn't
0: have. Yeah, I, I have to wonder then, is sobriety difficult when you're doing this show and people are having you into their home and you're trying all these unusual types oh, of food and they probably offer you yeah. sake or whatever? And yeah. That. Uh, it's not hard. Is that ever delicate how to No,
1: because the the fact the fact of the matter is at a certain point you kind of are more firmly on the path. It doesn't mean that I'm I'm still at arm's length away from a drink, but it's easier to choose not to. When I go into other homes you know, and somebody offers me saying, I just, you know, in other cultures where they don't understand alcoholism yeah. or drug addiction, I just simply say I'm allergic and I can't. Oh, and okay. people That's are smart. very, yeah. very understanding. Now, mm-hmm. in famously in a Russian banya in Dallas, uh, <laughs> I was with a uh, uh, an owner of this bathhouse and we had shared yeah. an entire morning together. And in a very comical situation he kept putting shots of vodka in front of me and I kept he kept saying, you know, vodka and I kept saying, yet, and he kept saying, vodka, yet yeah. and you know, we we were laughing hysterically. Um, But they understand alcoholism very well in Russia. And I just finally, I just looked at him and I just said, I said, dude, I'm a sober alcoholic. And he just looked at me, his eyes widened as if I was the devil. Because clearly he'd considered, I guess at some point in the past, that maybe he wanted to quit drinking. Um, But no, it's really, it's never been a problem for me at all. In fact, the only thing, episode, season, actually it was the pilot uh, for bizarre foods, I was offered a glass of snake wine in a snake uh, wine yeah, in what a, the hell is that it 's a wine that 's <laughs> infused with a dead snake it 's really oh awful stuff um, but mm. i was given it I was given a glass at the end of the meal, and rather than insult my hosts, um, I raised it to my lips and pretended to drink oh, yeah. it. And I realized when I went home that night that I was being dishonest with myself Uh and dishonest with them. And it was more importantly that I was dishonest with myself. And I swore I would never do that again, and I never have. And it's funny, because whenever it airs, I get tons of people, you know, (laughs) texting me like, did you pretend to drink that? And I was just like, yeah, and I don't do that. You know, it's like, it was, you know, I... So there have been lots of changes and lots of things that I no longer do, um, but sipping that snake wine was uh, or putting it to my lips rather was and pretending to drink it was one of the more comical things for me. I'll, I'll just never forget the thought. Processes, but that's typically something that people go through when they're doing things that are a first. You know, mm-hmm. it was it, we were shooting the pilot of the show. I didn't know how I would handle every situation on camera.
0: Yeah, it gives new meaning to the phrase "choose your poison." I guess that's, that's exactly right. <laughs> well, you now have a new show where you're sharing some of your favorite hidden gems in different cities mm-hmm. uh, for your new show, the Zimmern List. Um, I read you say that this is the most personal show that you've ever done. Why is that?
1: Well, it's personal on on five or six different levels Mm -hmm. and so that's how I've been describing it Um, first of all uh, my production company Intuitive Content uh, is producing it so you know that's that's uh, and you know we've, we've produced other shows we produce driven by food Mm -hmm. we've done you know we've done shows for other people and are continuing to grow it's really exciting being an entrepreneur in the tv space um and i'm really proud of our whole team at intuitive um i think it's the best linear production company in food and travel tv around but i'm biased um so that's personal uh second thing is that it involves a lot of personal choices for me because I'm doing things in the show that I would do if the cameras weren't there really all like the what? time. What do you mean? Are you, uh, you talking
0: about in terms of places you go, where or? I
1: go, what mm-hmm. I choose to eat, who I mm-hmm. choose to hang out with stuff like that. Okay. Um, it's not like every guest in the show or every food place is one that, you know, I ring up the guy, you know, but you know, in in our Austin episode, um, my, my friend Rennie Ortiz has a new place here, you know, that, uh, in Austin, Fresa. And, you know, I've known him for a long time. And so whenever I come into town, if he has a new place, I always go and visit him, mm-hmm. you know, cause he's my friend. Uh, and so obviously I was going to do that. Um, you know, I've been friends with Aaron Franklin for a long time and it, it, you know, it, it Going to visit him is something that I do. Yeah. Okay. Um, and people you know we like, well, so we can't do another do episode, another episode with you know at Franklin Barbecue. I'm like, but that's <laughs> what I do when I'm in Austin. So yeah. the challenge for me as a as a TV producer and a production company owner is what am I going to do differently mm-hmm. with that scene? Yeah. So what we've done from a stylistic standpoint and another reason it's so personal to me is that it's shot very close up. I can't stand wallpaper okay. on food and travel television. <laughs> I mean, enough with the vista. I get yeah. it. You know, Rome's a so beautiful this is all city. all about the food. You know, but I don't want to be filled up mm-hmm. with, in you know, a 22 minute, total running time in a half-hour show with 18 minutes of pictures of statues. I can, you know, go online (laughs) and look at that. Um, I want to see a story. I want to see a story. Yeah. So it's shot very personally. Uh, We use prime lensing. We use very little VO. Mm -hmm. We use a lot of natural sound. Um, Now, those are all things that are uh, eschewed in most lifestyle TV programming on cable. most people yeah, don't that's notice it true. yeah most people don't notice it. Yeah. But a lot of a lot of uh, television networks have rules about that kind of stuff um, because they want their network to have a, a certain look and feel. Yeah. And I'm super grateful that I get to work for a network like Travel Channel that while they have rules, they were willing to break some yeah. of them to allow us to experiment with this. Yeah. and I think, we kind of respect the viewer enough for them to understand brisket comes from a cow you don't need to see me opening every door to know how i got into the room yeah yeah Uh, it's a little
0: less produced more authentic you would say
1: it's you know some people have you know referred to that as you know more verite style right um and i think that's kind of the wrong word i mean it's the right idea but it's the wrong word we're just trying to we're trying to keep it real and we're not you know we're not talking down to the viewer. Mm -hmm. Uh, The viewer is smarter than I think a lot of people think they are.
0: Oh, what are some of the other destinations you're going to hit this season? Well, we
1: did Austin, we did Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. we did New York, Minneapolis, uh, Portland, San Diego, San Francisco, um, uh, Chicago. Okay where I'm blanking a bunch of other 18 fantastic cities around the country.
0: Now, I heard that in the San Francisco episode, you take viewers to a place that you swore you would never reveal. That's correct. um, Because why? You were afraid that it would become too popular or what? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Uh, Here, It's
1: a funny thing. I was at a uh, a noodle shop in uh, uh, Singapore. And uh, I went. I shot at a show there uh, the same year. Uh, Bourdain was doing uh, a different show than he is now, and uh, he was doing no reservations. He had shot there as well, and the owner said that you know neither episode. Uh, the Tony's episode hadn't aired, and mine was oh, yeah. obviously just being shot. And he said you know, Oh yeah, maybe, you know, a couple extra people will show up. Ha 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 ha, yeah. ha. So about four years later, I'm back on vacation, you know, on my time and I'm with some friends. I'm like, Oh, we got to go to this place. And we go and there is a line down the block. And I walked up to the front of it and stuck my head in the door. And, you know, there's the <laughs> kindly little lady who had owned the shop and, and, She's just hustling, and you know, she, she it was her and her daughter, and now there's like six employees, there's someone else in the front, like managing the, the crowds. Oh, and no. she looked at me and she, and she jokingly said, You two ruined this for my family. <laughs> and I started to t- actually talk to her about it, and she, you know, she said, Look, I'm you know, business is great, it's wonderful, you know, so I'm half kidding, but I'm half serious because now. It takes so much energy to manage this business because you've made it, you guys have made it so popular. Everyone (laughs) circles it. So everybody who comes has to go check it out.
0: Yeah, you Um, complicated her life there. (laughs) Exactly. Now,
1: on the flip side of that, I've walked in. There's a a place in, uh, I think it's in Birmingham called Eagles, Uh, and it's a meet and three place. And it was out of business, it was dead. They just didn't know it yet. Uh, they were serving a handful of customers. They used to do 300 customers a day because they were in the, in the shadow of a big factory down there. And so breakfast, lunch, and then after shift, all the factory workers would come. And for 50 years, it was oh. one of the more popular little tucked away secret neighborhood eateries. Well, we walked in, and th- they didn't have a customer the whole day when we were there. No kidding. Yeah. Wow, the whole and, day? And the whole day. And uh, the factory went out of business And the neighborhood uh, You know Became more famous for You know Drugs and violence Than Mm -hmm. anything else Well we highlighted in the show Because the people who cook there Have a God's gift I mean it was some of the most delicious Food I've eaten in a long time And uh, When I went back there Two years later There's a line down the street And they came out crying and hugging me And I was I was just overwhelmed. And they literally said, you know, no one knew we were here until you... So it's it's, it's a mixed bag. You know, you can feel good about it, you can feel bad about it. But there are certain (laughs) restaurants... And the Thai restaurant in San Francisco uh, oh, it's is one restaurant. of them. It's okay, a Thai restaurant. So we have restaurant a clue now. That, okay. That I just swore. They're, and they're busy not all Chinese. the time. I was going to guess it was going to be Chinese. Yeah, that's my favorite. But the, <laughs> well, it's also
0: San Francisco. That's true.
1: They're, they're busy all the time. Uh-huh. And they certainly, I'm, I'm not sure they could get any busier, but the idea of these wonderful people that have taught me so much mm-hmm. about Thai food and where I can just kind of be myself and, yeah. you know, no one bothers me and, you know. You know it's it that the idea that I would then turn it into a real you know kind of tourist destination as opposed to a insider traveler recommendation yeah um, I had a lot of trepidation about, <laughs> and I finally you know for years I've shot tons of shows in San Francisco, and I've never included this restaurant huh. and so in the San Francisco episode and and I talk right to the viewer in this episode all the time I'm crossing the street as the camera's on me almost got hit actually by a car. Uh, but you know, I tell people, you know, I was never going to divulge this, but you know, here goes.
0: Wow. And so we'll, we'll <laughs>
1: see what happens there next time I get there, whether they're mad at me or they're
0: happy with me. <laughs> well, before we go, do you have a favorite comfort food? Oh
1: gosh. I eat my, my grandmother, I make her chicken roast chicken recipe. Okay. Um, and you know, It's the, you know, I can eat roast chicken three nights a week. I mean, I'm I'm just that, you know, with a a pan gravy made with the little brown bits of onions and chicken fat that (laughs) caramelize in the bottom of that pan. Mm. Um, And it doesn't matter whether I have it with homemade stuffing or mashed potatoes or I just, you know, chicken and gravy, roast chicken and gravy, when it's done right, is heavenly to me. And I've found incredible versions of that you know my grandmother's you know comfort food classic in Medellin, colombia in driven by food oh interesting in uh in bizarre foods when we went to yeah. havana uh you know simply cooked in, chicken is
0: universal it's universal it? french yeah.
1: grandmother you know mm-hmm. uh, gregory marchand at at frenchies does a version of it in paris on rue de nil that's breathtakingly delicious there's so many countries do it you know even the huli huli chicken that's sold on the you know roadsides of hawaii as you're driving around um you know roast chicken to me is just you know when the skin is right when the bird is good uh is as yummy as food gets so yeah. that's that's the thing that i i were the other thing i do is meal in a bowl stuff I, my freezer okay. is loaded with quarts of my i i, I merged my grandmother's pot roast and brisket techniques with her borscht because oh, really? she always used to make okay. her borscht.
0: She was Russian or?
1: Well, no, she was uh, German Jews. Okay. Um, but we have, if you go back a couple generations, there's some Russian, other, other Eastern European. Okay. Um, but she made a beet borscht, uh, mm-hmm. with vinegar and dill. Um, and mm. she would use beef bones and, and then remove them. And if little bits of meat, you know, were yeah. attached to those shin bones. It fell into the soup oh, and the so be it, it was fantastic. <laughs> but I wanted it to be beefier and meatier. So now mm-hmm. I, I brown and braise short ribs in the broth oh, yeah. before adding now them into talking. the soup. And I, so I, it's basically borscht with short ribs and a lot of dill and a big yeah. dollop of sour cream and mm. horseradish on the side. And that's always in my freezer. Um,
0: <laughs> well, I'm going to go eat now. <laughs>
1: by and- the way, videos, shameless plug, we yeah. started this year on andrewzimmer.com uh-huh. uh, a video series that I created called AZ Cooks, okay. uh, which people can go online to andrewzimmer.com. They can follow it on Twitter at at AZ Cooks. Um, but we're up to, we're now now we're up to, I think, four or five videos a week. It um, takes a while to mm-hmm. sort of, get production going in those things we've been at it for about nine months and uh, most of those dishes you know and we're, we're adding all the time the food's not that I necessarily eat in the show, which are not universally easy for everyone to access the ingredients mm-hmm. or the techniques, um, but we're kind of marching through all of my favorite foods oh. over the course of a year. Um, so I, I think people would like that. And several of those yeah. I just mentioned are all there. So Yeah,
0: learn from the master, folks. Yeah, and again, don't miss the Zimmern list on Tuesdays at 9 Eastern, 8 Central and Travel Channel. Andrew, thanks for talking with no, me. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Andrew Zimmern for coming on the podcast. The Zimmern List airs on Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific on the Travel Channel. To learn more, visit travelchannel.com. You can also check out lots of other cool stuff at andrewzimmern.com, that's Z-I-M-M-E-R-N, and follow Andrew on Twitter at at Zimmern. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to Kick-Ass News on iTunes and leave us a review. You can follow us on Facebook or on Twitter at, at Kick-Ass News kickassnewspod. And as always, I welcome your comments, questions, and ideas at comments at kickassnews.com. I'm Ben Mathis, and thanks for listening to Kickass News.